This episode of Forging Ahead is the first in a series of sales episodes. I figured I'd go to the well on some of my personal relationships where I've gotten to know really great, crafty salespeople and have them on and start to pull out some lessons and some advice and some tactics that I think will be helpful to the audience. This first episode in the series is with J.R. Butler. J.R. spent the first chunk of his career as an individual contributor and has since moved into roles where he manages salespeople. But uh, I think you're really going to like this. JR has got some great concrete things that you can take into work tomorrow and start making a difference. And um, I think you'll really enjoy it. So here's JR. Hey, this is Tom Sullivan. Thanks for listening to Forging Ahead. I'm breathing some new life into this project by inviting guests to come on and teach us about a topic that they know as well as anyone on earth because they've done it and are doing it today. These are the real deal practitioners. If you enjoy this, please leave a review on Apple or send this to a friend. Thanks. Hey, it's Tom Sullivan. I am lucky enough to have my good friend J.R. Butler with me today. This is going to be the first episode in a sales series. And J.R. has got a long career of being a hard-charging, big-ticket sales guy. And I wanted to ask him some questions and kind of get his take on, if you think about the audience for this podcast, I want it to be salespeople who are kind of on the way up looking to crack in and be in that top of the leaderboard style person. So how are you, buddy? I'm excellent, pal. Enjoying the lovely weather out here in the desert. I I, I hear it's starting to get a little cold out there in New England, huh? It is. Yeah. Do you want to give us a, a minute on what you're up to? Absolutely. So I am currently the chief revenue officer at a company named Pillar uh, based in Chandler, Arizona. I joined the company uh, 14 months ago, um, Was uh, worked with a, a venture capital firm out of Boston called Audio Capital. Um, and I was actually got lucky enough to work with them through the whole investment process from when they started, when they decided to pick a space to invest in to the first company they met with all the way through signing a term sheet and doing due diligence of, um, you know, at the time, Apps Freedom existing customers, which now uh, became Pillar. Um, and I grew up in Massachusetts, um, and this is my second uh, privately funded startup um, since uh, being in tech sales. I've been in tech sales my whole career. This is my 50th quarter, quarter excuse me, carrying a quota. This is my 50th quarter. Nice, dude. I love, I love that you know that milestone. <laughs> Um, so like I want to talk about, I know that you are running sales and building playbooks and building out the organization. I want to rewind a little bit into a couple previous chapters of your career where you were individual contributor, like the people that I want to share this episode with, you know, would be folks that want to cash big checks as salespeople. Um, so give me a little bit of discussion on where you've seen salespeople that make a lot of money, like salespeople that like I've heard you, I don't know if you are sarcastic when you say W2 a million bucks or if that's legit, but let's talk about salespeople that make a lot of money. 
Absolutely. Um, that's legit. I had a year like that in my twenties. Um, it's not something that is necessarily something that I think people can do consistently. If, if it is, then the CFO needs to change the comp plan. Um, but I think there's definitely opportunity where somebody can step into selling something and making a million dollars a year. Um, in terms of like, what are the type of people that do it? Um, yeah. I, I don't think you accidentally make a million dollars in a year ever. Yeah. Um, so for me, you know, the first thing it started with, um, and this sounds really simple, but it's, it starts with, with being very busy. Um, so like when you first get into it and, and you want to be somebody that's a, that's a, you know, a, a high price, like a, uh, an opportunity to to be w2ing you know close to seven figures or or you know hundreds of thousands of dollars um at the end of the day it's a numbers game right so the first and foremost thing at least when i started my career because it took it, was, it took it took me till about my six year of sales before i had that really big year that i still talk about today because i'm still chasing it and i'm nowhere <laughs> close to it anymore um and i and i have some people that have worked for me that i've worked for that have had seven figure uh, years. Like I've, I've actually had a, a few uh, reps at my old company that had seven figure years uh, and a couple that did it a couple years in a row. Um, but the first thing I told them when they started, you know, two, one of them started as a BDR for me. She was an accountant, became a sales rep. Two years later, she W2'd a million dollars. And the first thing I told her when she asked me, she said to me, she's like, JR, I want to make a million dollars like you did when you were a rep. Cause I used to tell these young sales reps that work for me, about that year all the time because it's, you know, it's pretty motivating. It's inspirational. Um, I said, the first thing you have to do is get busy. And, you know, what I mean by that is you have to, you, you have to kiss a lot of frogs before you can find a prince. You have to, you know, break a lot of eggs to make an omelet. Um, I told you I was a walking one. <laughs> um, you, you have to, you like, it's just like, dude, you, you played hockey. I played hockey. I now like my, my big obsession is golf. Like I learn by, by messing up sales is no different. Like you see these guys who, you know, I'm not going to have that meeting or I'm not going to talk to that person, you know, but if you don't get those at bats, if you don't get told no a thousand times, you're not going to be told yes a thousand times. So the first and foremost thing when you're thinking like, okay, I want to get into sales and I want to make a million dollars is you, you have to, you have to fail a whole bunch as quickly as you possibly can. So that's the first thing is get busy, right? The next thing is you want to not be busy. You want to be productive. And and the only way you get productive is by being busy first. So before I kind of go on on a, a too long of a rant, Tom, is, do you have is it, does that make sense? Like, does that resonate with you? Like just get getting the at-bats, taking the swings? Yeah. And I want to talk before we jump to the next step there on the mindset it requires to do that. Do you think that 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 can be teached or taught, or do you <laughs> think that uh, do you think that people show up and have that disposition? Like I've been in bullpens. Everyone knows who's going to be the most successful by who is the loudest, who is on the phone all day long, who doesn't give a shit what they sound like on the phone. They just are relentless and. You know, I've been always been kind of like, I don't think I'm like a natural salesperson. I've always been a little bit more aware of of 
you know, sounding stupid or I think that you have to get rid of that if you're going to be one of those people. Do you think you can, you can teach people that? Yeah, to to a degree. Like I, I just think, you know, I think like motivation – Motivation is like an external thing, right? Like, you know, I, if I say a, a, a fire, a, you know, I get my team fired up in a sales meeting, like that's only going to last, you know, a couple hours, a couple days, you know, there's that quote, like motivation is like showering. That's why we recommend to do it daily. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think what I do think is, is teachable is, is, and, and you have to want it. Um, but I think the biggest thing that makes, people successful in this career. And I would probably say it's, it's any career is discipline and consistency. Um, now that said, there's, there's shit that salespeople do that ha- that salespeople have to do that some people are never going to like. So it's hard to be consistent and disciplined if you don't actually like it. So like, you know, at my old company, we grew so fast. We, we, we went from you know less than less than seventy five people when I started to over six hundred and fifty people when I left, and we had a we had about a sixty percent turnover rate. So like the amount of people that came in and out of that place was massive. Thousands mm-hmm. of people I hired and had to let go and 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 left. And what I would say is I knew pretty quickly you know there might be people that really took three or four months to to find success or like consistency that I knew right away, like they're going to eventually get there because I know that they're enjoying this. And there were people that I'm like super talented, super intelligent, great, great people where I'm like, oh, this guy's, yeah, this guy's screwed, right? He's because never gonna make it. they just didn't like it. Like, you know, like, so I think, you know, from my perspective, if, if, if it's something that you enjoy, if you enjoy learning about new technology and you enjoy learning about businesses and how they operate and how they leverage technology and how they make money and how they lose money and how they spend money. And you enjoy meeting and learning about new people. Like if those are three things that you can somewhat, that somewhat move the needle for you, then I can teach you to be consistent and I can teach you to be disciplined on, on a strategy that would make you a lot of money. If those three, like some people don't like, like don't like talking to new people. They're like, they get anxiety, they get uncomfortable. Like, and those people probably are never going to make a million dollars trying to sell something. Um, does that make got sense? It. Yeah, man, that's perfect. So we got get busy and then get productive. Let me try to just read that back to you to make sure I understand. So get busy. It's almost like any and all activity is good activity. And then productive means you'll get to a point where you're going to have to figure out where to spend your time, right? hundred percent. And, and, and when you, when you go, when you, when you get good at getting busy, you get good at selling and then, you know, then, then you're the one that should be basically turning people away. Like, like that's what the people that, and and the reps that I had that made a million dollars, they, they closed out more opportunities in Salesforce than my other reps because they would immediately be like, yeah, this guy, you know, this guy wants to keep meeting with me, but this guy's going to get me nowhere. Like they had the, the kind of courage to just say, Hey, listen, like, I don't think this is a big enough problem for you that you really want to solve it. So like, let's part ways and move on. Right. So like those that, and the only way you get there is by, by spending like six months with some guy 
that is never going to buy anything and learning your lesson, right? Which, you know, I, I laugh because I think of the, the reps that I'm thinking of right now in my head, you know, when they first started, they talked, they talked about the same three deals for four quarters in a row. And I would just laugh. I'd be like, okay, yeah, they're going to buy this quarter. Right. <laughs> um, but you almost like, I, you know, again, going back to what I said, like I knew they loved what they were doing. I knew that they could, they could, they were already consistent and disciplined people. So I knew they were going to be successful. And I could tell them a million times, like, Hey, you know, I could go in and close out your Salesforce opportunity. And there are leaders at, at certain companies and there's people that I, were my peers at my old company that did that a lot. And I always was like, no, fuck, you know, s- screw that. Like let them, let them waste their time. Let them, you know, talk about that deal to my boss's boss every single quarter for four quarters. Cause I promise you, and I, and I talk to that rep all the time and she's, you know, the one I'm thinking of, she's at a, she's at one of the biggest companies in the world. Um, she's crushing it. And she will tell tell you straight up the biggest lesson I learned was was my first year how much time I wasted on on and I, I know the three deals off the top of my head literally and I guarantee you those three companies still haven't bought Turbo, my old company software I guarantee it. All right, so after you start getting to that productive stage, what are the best people doing after that? Um, they have a plan. They have a strategy. Um, I call it an operating rhythm. Like, you know, their weeks don't change that much. Um, and I'm, I'm instituting this right now for myself, where it's like my Mondays all pretty much look the same. Same with Tuesday through Friday. Like, you're going to have your meetings. You're going to have your, you know, your stuff. But, you know, like I said it earlier, you don't accidentally make a million dollars. Um what happens to a lot of salespeople, and I think I know this for a fact because I've talked to like Rob Griffin about commercial real estate, and you know he tells me all the time he's like you know my best people uh, could be so much better, but they get caught up in working these deals that they're not out looking for the next deal. Um, the best sales reps in the world, first of all, constantly have a pit in their stomach. I have a pit in my stomach every single Sunday night, like. I grind my teeth and all I think about is, you know, I, what am I going to do this week to move the ball forward on these 25 opportunities and how am I going to do it? And how am I going to get the next 25 opportunities? So a constant pit in the stomach and then a plan that they work that is built. Their plan is built to achieve their goal of a, you know, a seven figure W2. So there's this thing in tech sales that's pretty well known from a certain type of people um, called uh, PG Mondays, pipeline growth Mondays. So there's certain companies that are out there, uh, AppDynamics being one of them, now Zscaler, because a lot of leadership from Zscaler, from AppD went to Zscaler. Um, and it's this old PTC, it's actually old PTC DNA um, from Boston, a company that had, they had 40 quarters of consecutive growth, the only technology company to ever do it. And all the sales leadership from that company is now VPs and CROs all over the world. And they have their own company called Force Management that does like sales qualification and stuff. Medic, I'm sure you've heard before. That's mm-hmm. the brainchild of this company, Force Management. But their whole thing is have an operating rhythm. And it's basically like a checkbox. Like, hey, this week have you done X, Y, and Z? And, and when did you do it, right? So Mondays are always PG Mondays. Then Tuesdays, you're working the channel. Uh, Wednesdays, you're, you're, you're doing technical demos. 
Thursdays, you're driving to an event. Fridays, you're following up and kind of making a plan for next week, right? Like whatever, whatever your operating rhythm is, nobody can mess with it. And that goes back to that like discipline and consistency thing. Like I have this, uh, one of the pictures on my phone is 365 raised to zero versus 365 raised to 0.01. And like the number, when you raise 365 to zero, nothing happens. But even if you do it to 0.01, the outcome is massive, right? So it's that little bit of effort every single day that pays off. Um, and that's really what having a plan is. And like, I've never met a rep. Like I said, I've never met somebody in my life that accidentally made a million dollars. And any person that I've ever talked to that's done it will be able to tell you exactly what they did on a Monday or on a Wednesday and like what they did for that year and how they spent it. So that's, that is the, probably the, one of the biggest indicators of whether or not somebody can consistently be successful. I think. Any, any, um, so I, I have a kind of a theory that, like the number one person on your sales team consistently like quarter in quarter out always above a hundred percent. Anyone that I've worked with that's been in that camp, like has no problem flirting with the line of like being abrasive. Do you think that's accurate or is that too broad of a brush? Well, I mean, I think so. So naturally their disposition is probably pretty aggressive. So abrasive is probably fair. Um, I think, and, and there's definitely like <laughs> situations where I've gotten calls on, on my top performers from people in the company being like, yo, like they can't talk to me like that. And I'm like, you know, and, and like very nicely, I'm like, well, yeah, actually they can because they pay your fucking salary. So, you know, excuse my French, but yes. Um, I think there's a, there's a general tendency, and this is the other thing I tell, um, I used to tell sales reps early in their career, was when you're a great sales rep, you need to act like everybody works for you because they do, right? The CEO works for you. The CFO works for you. The founder of the company works for you. It's their job to make you successful. I think the reality is, is like, and that's how I was, by the way, as a sales rep, but I also had like, and, and, and I think of my, the, the, the few people that I'm thinking of, if I asked that, I literally every quarter would ask them to be managers. And they were like, absolutely not. I do not want to manage people. And, and, and they're very abrasive people that have trouble kind of, you know, necessarily getting stuff out of people in a, in a way with honey versus vinegar. So I think the, the people you're talking about are those individual contributors that will never be leaders of, of leaders in a way where people roll up to them. And they're expected to kind of, you know, be that person that's like can handle any personality, et cetera. Um, the reality is, is, is some great individual contributors will never be leaders. And those great, those consistently, consistently great um, individual contributors, they're probably abrasive because they just, they can be. Um, and they, they just have no interest in, in being responsible for anybody else but themselves. But they, the reason that they're considered abrasive and that I used to get phone calls about them from other people in the company was because they listened to me in the sense that they were like, you work for me, right? I remember my, my first boss at my first reseller grabbing me and being like, listen, Brad, who was our CTO at the time, is complaining that you're, you're, you're making him go on all these meetings. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? 
And he's like, don't worry. I already told him. He's like, just keep doing what you're doing, JR. Everyone here works for you. And I'll never forget that conversation because that's what I think it comes down to. Now, I was 24 at the time and I was a little ego, you know, maniac, psychopath. And I grew up a lot in the last 11 years. Not a lot, but I grew up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, um, but there's some people that never do because they just continue to be successful and they get away with it being abrasive. So I think that that's the tweak there that I would say between abrasive and, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. What about um, if somebody was looking to find one of these opportunities, like what style company industry market should they be looking for? Yeah, I mean, there's like there's very few um, technology salespeople that make a million dollars selling some some me too product that's already in a budget. Um, and that would be a situation where like that happens some that used to happen sometimes. You I, I know you used to work at EMC. I remember hearing some stories of like, you know, so this happened to me. This happened to me like personally, where an EMC rep um, was she was a she he was a commercial rep, and we had an account together in in uh, Westchester, New York. It was a it was a pharmaceutical company, and his number was set up as if he was selling to these SMBs. So his mil- his his number was like a million dollars for selling storage. And what happened was this company was was studying uh, to to compete with Pfizer for erectile dysfunction. So they had all these these open trials for erectile dysfunction drugs, and they realized that one of their drugs actually solved or, or helped some of the symptoms of multiple sclerosis in some of their tests. So they ended up pivoting and applying for FDA approval for this multiple sclerosis drugs. They're, by the way, a publicly traded company, a court of therapeutics. They're huge now. But the EMC rep on that account ended up making a ton of money that year because I got a call from the customer. These guys had like four servers, dude. I sold them like a VMware Essentials pack for like $24,000. And it took me like six months to do the deal. And one day he calls me out of nowhere and he's like, hey, we need to scope a new, a new data center. So I'm like sitting waiting for him to tell me about the five server specs he needs. And he starts telling me about a, a DMX, a Symmetrics, like a $3 million storage array. Me and my CTO, I was, we were sitting in my office in Marlboro at the time. And I was like, I put the thing on mute. I was like, what the hell is going on? And he's like, just buy some of their stock. Just shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but like that situation can happen at a place like, you know, an HP, a Cisco, an EMC, but it's rare and it's pure. 100% luck. That's exactly what happened in that situation. Now that said, that's a CFO problem and that's a compensation problem. And, and most big companies actually have bumpers to, to prevent that from happening. If I, if, if, if like something ever happens to me and like, it's like, JR, you've got to, you can't lead people. You have to be an individual contributor. And, and, I, and I know that I need to make a certain amount of money type of company that I would be looking at to really have an opportunity to make a million dollars is first and foremost, it's unbudgeted, right? Because those just, those deals pay better, right? Like what does it, that mean, Chair? it's like, um, EMC is storage, right? HP has storage at the time. HP had storage. Dell had storage. Pure had storage. NetApp had storage. Like it's like selling insulin to diabetes patients. Like somebody is going to buy this, you know, they're going to buy this product 
You just have to explain why your brand of insulin is better than this brand of insulin. Those types of products you should reps should not be making a million dollars. They just shouldn't. Like it's not, it's not that it's not hard. I don't want to sound rude, but it's 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 not as hard as going in and meeting someone with the for the first time and telling them about a problem they didn't even realize they had. And mm-hmm. that's what budgeted software is. So that so that's the first kind of characteristic you look at when you really want to have some upside on your W2. The second thing is is more company based, which is you want to look for a company that's poised for incredible, incredible growth. Cause you can't hire like I'm trying to hire salespeople right now and they're asking me about their comp plan. And you know, it's hard to because like I think we're gonna probably grow like 300% next year, like literally. But I can't put a, a comp plan in and be like, well, we only did X this year, but I'm gonna pay you as if we're gonna do Z. People look at me cross-eyed like you're going to grow 300%. Like you just can't structure compensation plans like that. Turbo Turbo was the same way, right? The first the year before I joined, they did $12 million. The next year we did $36 million. But they had to structure my comp plan like we were going to grow 20 to 30% like a normal company does. So, those are the those are the gems you need to find are the companies that are poised for like in, like this type of growth because mm-hmm. you'll never see you might see some CFOs that structure comp plans like this, but I promise you the salespeople, if they're worth their salt, ask the right questions and are like, peace, I'm not, I'm not signing this piece of paper, right? Because you have to structure your comp plan like the growth is, is normal. So that's where, you know, and at Turbo, we had so many years like this while I was there that that's, the rep was like assuming a 20% growth on their number from the year before, and they tripled, quadrupled. You know, I the one the one of the reps I'm thinking of in my head. She she went one year. She seven x her year before, and she hit her number her year before, and then did seven times that number the next year. So of course she's going to make a million dollars. And of course, you know, to go and take a risk on an unbudgeted software, small start, smaller startup that isn't you know guaranteed kind of compensation. You end up you you end up ha- you end up also getting no no. Um, no roof, like no ceiling, right? So it's unca- uncapped comp plans. So you got to find an uncapped, unbudgeted, fast growth startup that sells disruptive software that's un- that, that, that people don't even know they have a problem. Those are the companies where people can consistently make a million dollars. Like AppDynamics before Cisco bought them for three and a half billion dollars, they did this thing at their sales kickoff. I was at it. And they said, who made over a million dollars last year? And like 18 people stood up including sales engineers. And I, and I was like, that is the best freaking recruiting. Tool I've ever seen. I was like ready to leave turbo at the time, go over there, you know, but that, 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 that would be the, the kind of picture that I would look for if I, if I wanted to make a million dollars a year. What kind of skills should people spend their time building if they want to be in that group? Uh, qual- qualification, dude, qual- question asking, asking, Asking questions to get answers that you already know that you need them to say. Um, that's like the biggest skill set that selling unbudgeted software is all about. Is asking, give a few examples too, Jar. Yeah, absolutely. Like asking open-ended questions where you know because with with unbudgeted and disruptive stuff, people don't necessarily want to admit that they have a problem. People don't like being sold. I think now even more than when I started my career. So one of the things that, you know, we used to do this at Turbo, I know they still do it, um, is 
you know, our, the software did um, automated like uh, performance um, optimization. Um, what IT guys like, yeah, our performance sucks on our applications, right? Zero. So the question we would always ask is, you know, what do you do when someone complains about performance, right? And then they're, they're like, oh, well, they call this number. Da, 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 da. So like later on in the sales cycle, when you're like, you know, you're bringing up performance issues, they're like, what do you mean? Our performance is great. It's like, well, I asked you what you do and you gave me an answer. So I know you have performance issues, right? So it's like, you can, it sounds deceiving, but you're not really being deceiving. You're just trying to pull out the truth a little bit and try to get people to admit um, admit that they have a problem. So I think the biggest skill set you can have to be a great sales rep is 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 asking the right questions in a strategic way that's leading to the answer that you want. Um, that's the biggest thing with unbudget, especially unbudgeted technology. And I'm, you know, I, I I talk about this like I'm an expert. Like I, you know, I got a wake up call this morning that I haven't. I've been too focused on like our our message and our story and presenting like this big, great big vision that we have. And I haven't been focused enough on asking the right questions. So like literally tonight, I have an hour in my calendar to just write down, um, you know, a bunch of, of our features, a bunch of uh, benefits to the customer, a bunch of challenges those benefits solve. And then what are the 500 questions that I can have right in front of me all the time to ask them to admit that they have that problem without it being incredibly painfully obvious? Is that a a training thing or is there some resource that you'd point someone to that wanted to get better at asking good sales questions? Yeah. I, I think you gotta, you know, there's, you gotta read, you gotta educate yourself. There's so many great sales books out there that are very, very legitimate. Um, you know, one of my favorite, my favorite, I've read it like three times now is the challenger sale. Like that's a really, really good read. Um, I think you absolutely can train yourself. Uh, there's there's force management has classes there's sandler training like there's bant like there's all these kind of methodologies and and, and dude it, i've done them all by the way and if you actually dig under the covers of them they are all about asking the right questions that's why i said that answer it's because every single one of them at, at their core is about qualification and setting yourself up to to ask the right questions so the customer tell the customer tells you they need your software. That's really what you're doing when you ask the right question is you're getting them to admit that they have the problem that you uniquely solve. Do you think that um, when you find these, I'm like, in my mind, I have this picture of like specific people that I'm thinking about when I think about like the best sales people that I've ever worked with. And they all have this element, like I mentioned, abrasive earlier. Um, they have this kind of like, rule breaking mentality where it feels like they're the worst at getting their stuff in the CRM. Like they're not as good at following kind of company mandated stuff. Like, do you find that people in that seat, are they coachable or do they show up with, you know, kind of this pre-installed programming that's really hard to change? I, like the, the, the persona you're talking about is like the lone wolf, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's definitely guys like that. And like, as a, as a, somebody who's, who's led sales teams for, you know, whatever, however long it's been now, six years, um, you're going to get those folks every now and then. Um, I don't love them. Like I, you know, anybody, if there's anybody at Turbo listening to this, they know exactly the person I'm thinking of. 
and it, she literally would would ruin weeks for me at a time. Um, and but she was such a high producer that we all had to deal with her. Um, but for every one of her, there's like there's in my at least in my experience, there's three that still have all those skills, but then they lead by example because they're good people. Because you know, you made a comment I think when you sent me over some notes about mercenaries. You said something about mercenaries. You remember what you, what it was? Um, something about like you know these. Where do you find these type? Or where do these? Where should these types of mercenaries be looking for companies? But use the yeah. word use the word mercenary. I did. Yep. And and um, a lone wolf is a is a mercenary. Like they're just they're talented people that don't give a shit about anybody else. That um that are good they're they're very good at selling selling like they are the reality is they ask great questions you know they they're just and they're they're professionals at it um that said for every, for for those mercenaries what what you really want to find is someone with that same skill that's a missionary and those are the people that they don't go you know to company to company you know having great w2s and then and then you know you look at their linkedin and it's like you know, I know this guy's good, but he's been at six companies in 12 years. Like, what the hell has he been doing, right? Um, these people are, are missionaries. And what I mean by that is they're, they're, one of the reasons that they're very good at selling it, and this is the people that I'm talking about at Turbo, and I was like this at Turbo, and I was like this at my company before, is I actually sincerely believed in what we did. Like, I really, really honestly was like, like I thought it was rational. And that's what I think at this company. Like, that's why I'm here. Like, it, so, so like I, you've heard me say like, win them over or run them over. Like, and that's that abrasiveness. And I have that abrasiveness when I'm talking to customers sometimes, but it's because I know that I'm right. And like, like I, I'll do my best to try to educate you, explain you, ask you questions. So you land here, but just like there's people in sales that are at the end of the day, just, you know, dickheads that are never going to learn. There's also customers that like will deny, 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 despite every single factoid in their face being honest. And like, you got to have a little bit of courage to be like, dude, you're wrong. Like I'm, I know I'm trying to sell you something and I know I'm going to make money if you buy it. But at the end of the day, there's, I've given you 50 pieces of evidence that prove that I'm right. So if you're not going to buy this, I'm going to go to your boss or I'm going to go to your CFO and I'm going to show them that, that I'm right because I know that I'm right. Right. Like, that aggressiveness, that abrasiveness will absolutely come out with a great salesperson. But if they're a missionary versus a mercenary, I'll take those people on my team all freaking day because they believe in the vision. They believe in, you know, this picture and, and, the, and the thing that we do and the, 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 our view of the world is right. And these are the 10 reasons why, you know, and I'm lucky because I started selling the first product I ever sold was VMware. Right. And there's probably people like listening to this, like, what the hell is that? VMware was a technology that made it so instead of running one application on a physical server and utilizing 5% of what you paid for, you could run multiple and use like 60 to 70%. And it was hard to sell. Like, it is the most rational effing thing in America. And people would fight us. They would say, well, I don't believe it, or I'll just do test and dev, or, you know, this doesn't make sense to me. So like, 
I'm at an advantage in, in tech sales now because three things that I started selling in my career, virtualization, deduplicated backup, and shared file systems were super disruptive, always unbudgeted, always had to believe in the vision, um, and are all of them 50 quarters into my career, enterprise IT standards. There isn't a company you talk to in the Fortune 2000 that doesn't have virtualization, doesn't back up with deduplication, and doesn't have shared file systems. So like, I've seen this shit play out. I've seen what disruption could equal for business value. So like, if you're going to tell me I'm wrong when I'm being very rational in my explanation, I'm going to fight you because I've done it before and I know that I'm going to be right eventually. So that's kind of, you know, sometimes I forget that I have that advantage. And again, that goes back to being busy because a lot of people told me no on VMware those first, you know, 10 quarters, 15 quarters of my career, you know? Yeah. What about habits? Like we talked about kind of the standard operating rhythm, which I love where you have every week is the same week. You have this kind of skeleton, but maybe on a more granular level, maybe take like prospecting or take like trying to move things through the pipeline into the different sales cycles. Like what are some good habits that people should try to build? I think um, attention to detail is critical. Um, you know, listening is listening is like the most important habit, right? There's, you know, I, I always think a mer- the mercenary kind of persona, um, they'll ask great questions. They won't listen to all the answers, like, right? Like hearing is voluntary. Listening, you actually have to do, mm-hmm. actually have to try. Um, listening is the number one thing, right? Like um, my, my sales reps used to laugh at me because like we'd get objections sometimes on calls and I would kind of, it felt like I was ignoring them um, because I would just kind of move on into this something else. I wasn't ignoring them. I was listening and I knew kind of exactly when I would go back to that person. Um, and I take like, co- like still to this day, even while we're talking, I take copious, copious notes. Like my sales force right now, it's me and a, and a couple other reps and my sales force looks like I have 50 people working here on deals because I, I take everything somebody says, I write it down. I'll read it later. I'll read it before the next call. Look, I want to bring it back up. Excuse me. I think listening is a huge habit. I think um, following up, right? Like there's a stat out there. It's like the eighth time somebody hears something is when they finally get it. Like mm-hmm. if, if you're somebody that gives up very easily, that's not going to work. You got to be, you got to con- be consistent in following up. You have to listen. Um, what are other habits? Like just general professionalism. Um, you know, I, I, you know, my, my background, my, my little brother played professional hockey for 10 years. And when I was 25 years old, I was a complete nightmare. I was, you know, fresh out of school, partying like an animal, you know, basically being a se- a college and senior, but making money. Um, and my brother, uh, got called up to the NHL and, you know, part of the collective bargaining agreement is they fly the whole family out. And my little brother was like, you know, he's two years, two and a half years younger than me. And he was like, went to bed the night before, was wearing a suit, like, you know, being a professional athlete. And I was like, it was a very important weekend for me because it was my epiphany of like, you know, going to bed early, eating right, getting dressed, shaving in the morning, like these little things doesn't, you know, I was pissed that I wasn't a professional hockey player, but anybody who saw me fumble the puck in the defensive zone and my feet would know why I'm not. (laughs) 
but I, I let go of a lot of anger and I realized like I got to be a professional technology salesperson. So there's habits like that come with being a professional that you, again, you don't accidentally make a million dollars. Like I guarantee you that my, the sales rep that I'm talking about, her sales force was always immaculate. So was her car. So was her home. Like how you do anything is how you do everything. And like those professionalism, the, the professionalism and the habits that come with being a professional, being prepared, resting up, you know, knowing your competition, all the things that Tom Brady does and my brother did as an Olympic athlete. Like that's what I do as a tech salesperson. That's why I have the job that I have and I've had the success that I have. And that's why somebody will W2 a million dollars consistently or get close consistently is because they're professional. Like they're, they give a shit. I call it, you know, the give a shit muscle. Some people don't give a shit, you know, and then they get mad when somebody on their team makes more money than them. I'm like, dude, you, you know, you don't give a shit. Like, what do you want me to do? Right. So that, that's the biggest habit is just general professionalism, I guess, is how I would describe it. Can we, um, I want to close by, I didn't prep you ahead of time for this, but I think something that is critical that I, I just have kind of a funny feeling that you agree and we've probably talked about it in the past, but um, how important like mentorship or leadership can be in sales. Can you think of um, people that you've rolled up to either as like managers or VP of sales that have taught you things that you carry with you today and maybe like a specific lesson or an example would be great? Yeah. I, I used to tell this story a lot when I was hiring a lot at Turbo um, because we had so much great like sales DNA in that company because of you know Jimmy Mack hiring all these ex EMCers and like um, you know for me I would not be where I am without the the five guys I worked with in my first sales job and the, the, they they all taught me a lot but they all taught me a lot of stuff that I don't do now. Uh, because I saw them do it, right? So like, I'm thinking very specifically of these five guys. The owner of my company is a complete, he's a beauty. I, I got to be careful because I have no idea where this thing will get shared. But he was really, really good at telling our story as a company. And that's what he was really good at. I would say the other stuff, not so strong. Some stuff where I was like, oh my God, I can't believe he just did that. But I stole that from him. There was another guy in my company who was really, really technical. And he would earn his customers respect because of that. And everything else, like the guy was a dud. Like I, I, I text with him now and I'm like, dude, go find a personality kid. Like unbelievable. But he, he used to make a million dollars a year because he was really good at that one thing. There was this other kid who was literally in the year I started at the company, he was in three weddings. All three were his customers. Like he was so good at building relationships with people and gaining their trust. He did not even know how to spell EMC. But again, there's a kid who got really good at one thing and W2 to a million dollars because he built great at building relationships. There was another kid, another guy who couldn't do any of that other stuff, but he was really good at, at understanding an entire breadth of like what a company was doing in IT. And he wouldn't sell big deals to big companies like those other three would do. He would sell small deals to small companies, but he would sell them everything. Like we were a reseller. So he'd sell them RSA security tokens, a small EMC VNX, uh, a backup software, 
VMware licenses, networking switches, where these other guys are just doing big EMC deals or big VMware deals or, you know, big security deals. This kid was selling everything to really, but he got really good at kind of being diverse. Um, and then the, the last kid was, was very, very, very good. He's like what you think of when you th- think of a sales guy. He was like, what are we going to do to do it? What am I going to do to put you in this car today? Right? <laughs> yeah. EMC rep, but EMC reps would bring him in when they were like in, in a competitive deal with like a Dell or an HP because this kid could just get deals done. Like he was just a good negotiator and he was really, really, really good at asking the business. He's another guy who, you know, I bet like he's been doing this for 15 years. I bet he has like three customers he still talks to because they all need to take a shower after they work with him. Um, and he, he's another guy who doesn't know a ton about tech, but he's so good at, at just kind of pushing, you know, that win him over or run him over thing. So, you know, you ask about mentors. These guys are my mentors. They were my mentors. They were the first guys that I ever sold with for my first five years of my career. And the best thing they ever did was they taught me what not to do. And they taught me kind of that if you have one of those skills and you're very, very good at that one skill, you can make a lot of money. So all I did was say, you know, screw it. These guys literally are all, you know, at the time I joined the company, I was 23. The closest kid to my age was 35. And I stole everything from each of them, each of those good things. And by the time I left when I was 27, that last year at my old company, I was the number one rep in the company. And, and, and I didn't do anything. I wasn't that smart. I, was, I just stole everything from them. And I, I got good at each of those things, right? So that's, I think, the best thing you can do as a salesperson is be aware enough to know what people are good at, but be even more aware of what people are bad at. Because what you're going to find is there's people you're going to look up to because they drive a nice car and wear a nice suit. And they're always like getting called out in a sales meeting. And you're going to realize very quickly that they're incredibly flawed. And you're going to say, wow, so they're, they have all this shit wrong with them. And they're still the stud here. I'm going to steal what makes them great. And I'm going to make sure I'm aware of what they're not great at. So, and, and if you can do that, like, well, you can be really, really successful. I think that's a pretty good way to wrap up, man. Any final, uh, final thoughts on making big bucks in sales? Yeah, I mean, look for Pillar to post some job openings next year because this is going to be one of those million-dollar W-2 companies, Tom. I guarantee it. And I'm not going to make a call to my network until I can say that with 100% confidence. I love it, man. Well, thank you for doing this. I think this is going to be a big hit. And uh, I just appreciate you, man. Absolutely, buddy. Thank you. Thank you.